My name's Penny Ferguson, and uh, I'm founder and chairman of The Living Leader. And I'm also the person who designed the personal leadership program, which has been experienced by quite a lot of people, something around 65,000 people. Um, and it's been translated into five languages. I'm also the author of two books, uh, 52 Brilliant Ideas, How to Transform Your Life and The Living Leader. And uh, it's been a heck of a journey for me, this leadership journey. And the interesting thing is that when I first began teaching leadership, I actually realized that I was only touching the surface. And my journey since designing that program has been phenomenal. And it's been phenomenal because of the amazing people that I've worked with. I have learned as much from the people I've worked with as they've taken from experiencing the program. Truly amazing people and people's capacity to learn and truly care about people and wish to bring leadership into their own companies has inspired and humbled me. It's been incredible. Some of the, I've been so lucky because I have worked with some people who literally have turned their lives around, determined to become outstanding leaders. And it's been truly an amazing journey for me. I have enjoyed every bit of it. I have learnt. And these people have now been kind enough, well, not all of them, a few, a very few of them, have been kind enough to share some of their thoughts and experiences with you because they do care enormously and they think that if they can share any thoughts and ideas that might just give people another little insight would be really uh, really useful and really invaluable so the person i'm speaking to today or speaking with is a gentleman called andrew cannon now i met andrew a long time ago i've got to be honest i can't even remember the name of the company that uh, I was asked to come and run a program when I first met him. But he then went into Bupa and he headed up the biggest uh, division, uh, Bupa, I think it's called Bupa Services, and did a phenomenal uh, turnaround job there, did an amazing job. And he was there for a while and so I was working with him when he was there. He then um, moved to a company called Voyage Care and he is there, this, he is the CEO there. And they're now beginning to win awards for how incredibly well they're doing. He is an inspirational leader. He cares passionately about, I suppose the words, and I don't really like the words right or wrong, but getting it right in the best way that he possibly can. And people who work for Andrew really don't ever want to work for anybody else. He is a pleasure to work for and work with. So here's Andrew, and I think he was really focusing on one of the models that we use in, in the program, which is very much around theory X, theory Y, and talking about the behaviours that he would see that were very much around negative behaviours and how they were caused um, and quite often inadvertently. So I think he was talking about that quite a lot. Um, I hope you enjoy listening to Andrew. 
Hi, Andrew. Hey, Penny, how are you? I'm really good, and it's very good to see you. Muchly appreciate your coming to do this. Thanks and for having me. Talk about leadership, uh, which I know you're pretty passionate about. So just tell me, first of all, before we get on to talking about mm -hmm. any specific bits of the programme, tell me what you feel about leadership, just general. Um, uh, I think leadership comes at all levels within organisations. It can manifest itself in an infinite number of different ways. But when it sits within a, a hierarchy and people are charged with leading organisations or, or doing specific things, for me it's a wonderful and a terrible responsibility at the same time. Mm -hmm. No, it is because you hold people's lives in your hands. Yeah. Literally, their well-being, their happiness, their career. And depending on the sector you work in, I work with the most vulnerable people in the UK with really severe, profound learning disabilities. We don't figuratively hold people's lives in our hands. We literally hold people's lives in our yeah. hands, delivering um, personal care and medication and, and some really complex clinical stuff. So. So leadership under those circumstances can be the most incredible, empowering, fulfilling thing that changes people's lives every day, every single day. Um, or it can constrain people and uh, create terrible environments and, um, and make people poorly and ill. And, 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 and so for me, it's the most important thing. It's the singularly most important thing. You've worked for some good ones. I have. You've worked some bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> I have. What do you think for you has really differentiated the way they behave? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, for me, it's all, for me, it's all about connection to purpose. So everything begins with purpose. Yeah. Why are we here? Yeah. So at Voyage Care, we talk about we are here to deliver wonderful care and support, okay? And that connection to purpose is really important because if you're not clear on what your purpose is, people fill that space with a de facto purpose and then you get all sorts of odd things going on and people gaming and doing odd behaviors and doing different things to hit targets. That's why, for example, you see things like um, ambulances queuing outside A&E because there's a four hour target. And as soon as they admit people to A&E, the clock begins to tick and they know they're not gonna hit it, so they hold things. And you see that behavior wow. and that sort of gaming of targets manifest itself. And for me, that's where people have lost sight of their purpose and why they're really there. And then from purpose follows, how are you measuring purpose? And most organizations in my experience measure things that are easy to measure. So if you work in a call center, and this will be familiar to people who work in call centers, the thing that gets measured are, is how quickly do you answer the calls and how long do you talk for um, and typical targets are things like 80 20 80 percent of calls answered in 20 seconds and people use that because it's really easy to measure because you get that data directly off call handling machines and they see it as a proxy for good service but that's not the reason why those call centers exist that's not their purpose their purpose is to deliver wonderful customer service and to make a difference right but that's quite a hard thing to measure so for me, leaders are people who are really clear on purpose and really clear on how you measure that, even if it's really difficult, even if it's things like making people happy or making them fulfilled or enabling them to reach goals that might otherwise have been impossible. So good leaders, clear about purpose, clear about how you measure it, and then work on methods to improve your attainment of that purpose. For me, great leaders are people who have uh, humility and curiosity. Okay, so that's something I look for in all of my 
teams and all my leaders, humility and curiosity. Not people who sit in offices pontificating about what's going on. Not people who sit in head office talking about what it's really like. Not people who are arrogant and um, seek to try and explain and articulate to the front line what, let me tell you what purpose is or let me tell you why we're here or our vision. Those guys are doing it every day. So for me, leaders are people who are curious, who have humility, who go to the front line, who go to where the work gets done and who remove the barriers to enable people to deliver their purpose. Wow, I think that's the most fabulous way of explaining it. I really do. That was very kind. I really do. How much easier is it for you now that you're CEO rather than when you were managing director as a division? Oh, I'm not a very good day today, actually, Penny. So <laughs> it's, quite an, it's quite an interesting question in terms of timing. I, you know what's really interesting is somebody... Um, Somebody taught me something once I'll never forget, which is about, um, about the way you think about um, power and the way you think about freedom to act. And he told me a really interesting thing that I tried and has been true ever since, which is that you can feel constrained in the corporate hierarchy or you can feel completely unconstrained. And when you're a junior manager or a leader, you have a, I suppose, a simplistic view that Oh, as I get more senior, I'll have greater, the more senior you get, the greater freedom to act you have. And in many ways, that's simply, that's just not true. In many ways, you have greater freedom, um, certainly less scrutiny and accountability when you're, when you're a bit more junior. Um, but what, the, what the, uh, this uh, leader said to me was, um, tell people that you're responsible for it and you're going to do it. And they will let you they will give you implicit permission. So go and grab hold of something that you think is important and interesting and gets us close to our purpose and tell them you're doing it. And they will go, and they will go, oh, right, okay, and help you to do it. And it's true. Really? It's absolutely, yes, it's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah. And, and, and what happened uh, in Bupa, I worked in Bupa for nearly 11 years. Yeah. Um, the thing that really was the break and the difference between me being sort of a middle ranking manager and then becoming quite a senior manager and then the MD of, of the largest uh, care services division in the, in the country, 27,000 employees, was um, the difference I made through, um, through expressing that freedom, really. Really? Yeah, absolutely. 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 I mean, um, what we did was... Um, in, in many ways, not well understood by the rest of the organisation, but the difference we made, me and a, and a few of the guys and the teams I was looking at to work with, was transformational, strategically transformational. I mean, we, we put hundreds of millions of pounds on the bottom line and we began to get better clinical outcomes for people at a lower cost, which is the holy grail of, of healthcare. You just don't see it. But we did it through assuming, assuming permission, not... not, not not doing anything that was out of governance, not doing anything dodgy, let me be really clear about that. But really it was about um, failing fast, setting up trials, skunk works, doing things, failing, and understanding demand, getting closer to purpose. Yeah, that was the big difference for me. That's made a profound difference to my, to my career. Well, I do know that leadership is pretty important to you because I remember in Bupa, and I think I can safely say this now, so that the chief executive is no longer there, who was there, 
um, is how they didn't believe in the sort of leadership that you believe in, and so you went under the radar to bring us in. You were absolutely determined to say, now I'm determined to bring leadership in in the way that I believe mm. is important. And mm. you weren't into all the uh, other side of it, which was much more structured, but into how, I mean, in many ways, let's be honest, what we teach more than anything is emotional intelligence. Yeah. We never use those words, but a lot of it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, we did because it's so important, especially in the sector that I work in, which is um, I work in the care, care sector. Um, the challenges in that space would be would be well understood. So there's the inherent challenges, which is you're dealing with some very poorly and vulnerable people. Yeah. So it carries risks with it. Um, as a sector, it's probably not sustainably funded. Yeah. Um, this is not a high margin business. Um, because there's not been a lot of money in it for a long time, it's it's not well invested in terms of technology. Um, uh, it depends on people, it, typically multi-site, distributed across hundreds of locations. Yeah. And, and the key thing that, that makes a difference is the local leaders, the local managers. Yeah. You know, if you could have the best local managers or leaders in the sector, everything else would take care of itself. But it's incredibly demanding because what they're doing is running effectively small small businesses that deliver complex clinical care. So you're asking them to be all things. You're asking yeah. them to be warrior poets and philosopher kings, right? They have to recruit people and train them and motivate them, deliver complex clinical care. They have to run a business. They have to grow the business. They have to sell. They have to run the budget. This is really hard. This is tough stuff. So finding those people, I should think, is, is one of life's little challenges. Yeah, these people, these people are, are, are like gold dust, absolutely. They really are. How are you doing at holding on to them? Well, the way, the way in which we hold on to them is slightly differently to the way other people might think about it. Why am I not surprised? <laughs> <laughs> because we don't have the tools that a lot of other people have available. Yeah. So we can't throw money at the problem. Yeah. Okay. Um, but what we can throw is purpose and meaning and nobility and the idea that the idea that you work in an environment where you have the opportunity to make a profound difference to people's lives, that has in it, this is very odd to describe this in a, in a corporate setting, but love. Yeah. Because the things, so I work, talking about working, going to the, where the work gets done, I work as a support worker for at least a week every year. I worked as a support worker in Derby and uh, a, few, a few weeks ago. And the care and the quality of work gets done there with the most profoundly vulnerable people in the whole country can only be described as love. And so, and so we can't hang on to people with money. So we have to connect them to meaning and nobility and, and purpose. And that's what we try really, really hard to do. Sounds like you're doing a pretty good job to me. Uh, it's, not, it's not really... And this is not this is not false humility, but we we are um, when I arrived, we were already a very high quality provider. We're the highest quality provider in this sector. So the sector average, CQC is the regulator in England. The sector average for good and outstanding care is seventy eight percent, or if you slice it a different way, it's eighty three percent. We're at ninety six percent good and outstanding wow. across over six hundred locations. Wow. So it's clear blue water between us. And our, and our peers in this space. Um, but I, I didn't do that. Those things were in place. That great quality care was in place when I arrived. 
Um, if I've done anything, I think it's been about connections of purpose. It's about better connecting the people that we support with the rest of the organisation. Well, that's leadership, isn't it? Yeah. Of course it is. It's one aspect of leadership. <laughs> Don't be too humble. <laughs> of course it is. Now, you've been through um, our leadership programme. Mm. God, I've, I've lost track. Well, who was the company when you did it the first time? Totem Communications. God, that's going back a bit. Yes, that was 2004. That's 14 years ago. Good gracious. Mm. Yeah, you've got a beard since then. <laughs> <laughs> and about two stone in weight. <laughs> um, then it was Booper. Yes, that's it? right. Yeah. And now... Uh, Booper in a couple of iterations, actually. So Booper in yes. the oh, that's health right. insurance business yeah. and then Booper in the care services business. And then, of course, we've done it now with where Voyage you Care. Are with Voyage Care. Yep. Gosh, you should have got the hang of it by now. I mean, that's four times. <laughs> <laughs> I um, know. You learn something every time. You learn something every time, though. It's a bit like, you know, the exercise at the start? Yeah. It, it's almost worth continually doing that and redoing it and refreshing it because you always, you always learn. You always learn. It's like going to a service or the front line or where the work gets done. You always learn. It's never a dead end. It is actually interesting, that, and it never ceases to amaze me because I think Paul Stobart, who you know of and spoke to, but you haven't yet met, mm, you, and sadly can't come tonight, um, Paul, I think, has done the programme more than you, I think five five times. Okay. And he's been through the masterclass, so okay. he is now licensed to deliver it. Oh, wow. And then he asked me to come and do the programme again in his last position as CEO. Mm -hmm. And of course, I was thinking, he's done the masterclass. I mean, he's going to know everything. This is going to be for him impossible. And he came out at the end of it, and I remember at the very end, three days, he said, I really find it hard to believe that I can do it again, and I still can come out oh, of it with learning absolutely. something new. Of course. And I thought that was just fascinating. I think when you're ready, you hear different different bits. Yeah, and as you go really on your interesting. journey through organisations, you hear different things, of course. Yeah. And also, you know, it, it's a bit like saying, um, when, would you, uh, when would you not do it? And it's a bit like, it's a, it's a little bit like saying, when can I stop thinking about the way I think and approach problems? Yeah. It's like, well, why would you ever, why would you ever stop doing that? That's yeah. a really stupid thing to do, you know? So, so for me, it's, it's, in some ways, it's, luxury is the wrong word, but the creation of formal space and the commitment to do that can feel like a luxury when you're incredibly busy and, yeah. and, and, you know, sometimes forced to make what feels like a series of shorter term choices. You know, it's, yeah. one of the, it's one of the things I think about in leadership, which is, which is typically, you look, at, you look at something like email, right? Email typically forces you to do things that are not important but urgent. Yeah. And for me, leadership resides typically in the not urgent, important box. Yeah. Right? And this falls into that. Making time to see your team yeah. and to um, understand where the work gets, how the work gets done, right? Yeah. It's not urgent because, hey, they'll still be there tomorrow, won't they? So I'll just do this shorter term thing. So for me, going through the course again or reiterating it or doing it again is, is, in, is, in, is an important discipline because it's thinking about thinking, um, it's reflection, and it's never, it's never a dead end. It's never a dead end. And one day, hmm. it's taken me, it's taking me longer than it did say. with Paul. <laughs> one day, I will get you to do the masterclass. It took me two years to get Paul to do it. I think I've been pushing you for about three now, so yeah. I'm not giving up though. Okay. Believe me, I'm not okay. giving up. But anyway, just to talk about the programme for a moment, mm. are there any bits of the programme that for you, if you think through all the models that we went through, 
Are there any bits that for you thought really resonated? Um, yes, the um, McGregor theory X, theory Y. Yeah. But um, I think it's re I, I think it's really it's really it's really interesting. So people often come into leadership roles, management roles, and they think it's a it's a badge free profession. And what I mean by that is like anybody can have a go. But I'll refer you back to my earlier comment about this is a wonderful and a terrible thing you hold in your hands, right? So not anybody can have a go. Nobody would, nobody would dream of thinking, oh, I'll just have a go at being a tax accountant today, right? <laughs> or I'll just have a go at being a corporate lawyer. Yeah. And yet there is loads of material and studies and things about management and about leadership. And it amazes me how people don't read more or take the time to consider those things. So you look at something like McGregor's theory, and it speaks to me at a number of different levels. So, so so the first is, he, he saw it, I believe, as two different continuums, not a kind of a single X is there and Y Correct. is there, right? Um, and also the most able and capable leaders, to my mind, are people who can, I guess, um, play different tunes, right? Can, be, can occupy, can be, can be present and can be authentic, but can choose the appropriate response, yeah. you know? So it's not... Theory X bad, theory Y good. Yeah. It's just different. Yeah. However, you know, you probably gathered through the way I talk, I would default to theory Y. I think there's really, uh, and I think there's really good reasons behind that. So there are lots of studies around the impact of having high expectations, that people perform better if you have high expectations of them. Yeah. Um, Rosenthal and Jacobson study about uh, children, students at school, and how much yeah. better they do when, when the teachers are told at the start of the year that they have high expectations of a particular group of kids and lo and behold, they do better. The Pygmalion effect. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, and so for me, theory why is, and McGregor, is incredibly powerful. And you know what? It's just, an, it's just a, why wouldn't you start with the best intentions of people? Why wouldn't you just begin there? And, and, and as I've got older and through my career, it gets proved again and again, and I have to learn it again and again, right? Which is, I often go in all kind of guns blazing, and then, because I'm quite um, driven, and I'm quite energetic, and I want to do it now, you know, and I will go in and get it wrong, you know, and, and I hear the other side of a story, and you think, oh gosh, I've made a bit of a fool of myself here. So for me, so for me, it, 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 it hangs together with a lot of other studies about expectations of people about how you get the best of people um, and I think it's incredibly I think it's incredibly powerful I think it's two things I'd, I'd say about it which I've been talking about with somebody who has been through the masterclass and is currently running programs very well okay for our organization I won't yeah, say I've who heard. it is I, I, think know, it, I know I know, I know, who, you it know is. who she is she had a very theory X manager and then she and then she started working for me and she really struggled with the transition she really really struggled with the transition yeah. And I think I could have handled that transition much better actually for her and I could have steered her and helped her and, and begun to sort of, I don't know, play the sort of tunes that I talked about or turn the gas up slightly, you know, rather than a, a kind of a binary, hey, I trust you, you know, yeah. you don't have to tell me. You go to the doctors, at, you know, you don't have to make the time up, I trust you to give you best, you know. Um, so, I, so I think I could have helped her with her transition a little bit and recognised and acknowledged that you know, for a lot of people, Theory X for me is a, is a, is a kind of an institutionalised behaviour, right? <laughs> yes. So Theory Y comes along and goes, you're free. And if someone's been institutionalised, they go, but we were going to have our dinner at 5.30 and where's, who's going to make my dinner now? Do you know what I mean? It feels a bit like, 
they, people need signposts, right? And the other thing, the other thing I think is, I think you have to be quite careful with theory as well, because I think the wide open spaces can be difficult for some people, particularly people who, in my experience, are often. I'm thinking of somebody in particular. I'm thinking of more than one person in particular, actually. Working mums who are very driven, who have very high standards, who struggle to delegate. When you give them wide, when you, the two people I'm thinking of, when you gave them wide open spaces and said, "I trust you," you know, you do your best. They can take that to extremes, and it's never good enough, you know, and and, and it can impact, uh-huh. and they. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So so also that's a kind of another. Be very be very very careful around how you help people navigate it. So that resonates with me and speaks to me at loads of different levels. But I could depict any one of a number of different things. Yeah, and I think I think anybody who's now watching this will find that a really interesting insight, the way you choose to look at it. People become very focused on, is it X, is it Y? And being able to say, no, it isn't. As you say, it's a continuum. Yeah. You know, it, you can have both. Mm. The thing that's interesting is when... Um, what you were describing there was the person who you can see having the wide open space. The thing that I think is scary is if somebody has been managed in a very theory X way for a long time, mm. they can be theory Y inside, but without even knowing they're doing it, they acquire theory X behaviors mm. and they pass it on. Yeah. And it's a really interesting thing to see how it happens without them even being aware of it. And it's not who they are, mm. but they begin to pick it up. You've also, seen it. Also, I think it's it's... It's kind of limiting. It's really limiting. Which is, you know, even if you, even if you didn't necessarily default to a kind of a theory why, I trust people and I believe they have the best intentions, you know, at all times. Even if you didn't believe that, to constrain people and to and to describe how you want them to operate in minute detail and micromanage them, is going to limit the result you're going to get because you've got you you have your brain, rather than hundreds or thousands of other brains who make make a very valid contribution you know and and I guess that's kind of you know if I've made any progression in my career in many ways it's because I have a method around getting curious about what goes on asking people what the barriers are and then I remove those barriers they tell me what to do I don't do it really I I I I seek to create environments in which they have permission to do that and feel comfortable to do that flag those things up yeah and then seek to try and create a kind of flywheels learning organizations where those things then begin to happen as a matter of routine so um, so so for me um, so for me you'd say um, well why have one why have one brain come up with solutions why not have hundreds or thousands of brains you just get better solutions but it's not just that what you end up is being twice as busy as you need to be because you're all the pressures on you all the time yeah yeah that just doesn't make sense doesn't stack yeah, up at all absolutely crazy. Absolutely. So, Andrew, just a last question around leadership, okay? okay. What we've talked about is leadership in business. Mm. What about leadership when you think about with home and bringing up children? <sighs> well, one of the reasons I really like the program, got a lot from it, and, and you see people in the organisation, and I'll get back to my family, you see people get a lot from it, is because it sees people as whole people, not a kind of, right, at work, this might happen and then you'll need to do this. And I think that's I think it's incredibly powerful. And lots of the people who have uh, breakthroughs, um, more in my experience, more often have them at, at home than they do than they do at work, which actually then positively impacts on their life and experience at work as yeah. well. You know. 
so for me that 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 holistic view is incredible is really really important and also it makes people feel valued yeah in a way that uh, that's a narrow discreet i'm going to send you a project management course doesn't yeah, yeah. you know um in many ways people get heard often for the first time in their working lives you know they have a voice they exist they have a contribution they have value and meaning so it's very powerful from that point of view family families are families are hard, families are hard. <laughs> they are hard they are hard i mean i have three teenage children i'm married i have three teenage children um and um and yeah, I want them to. I want them to have that sort of. Well, they already have had a kind of a childhood that I didn't have. You know, it's markedly yeah. different, which is great. And in many ways, I stopped a, a sort of a cycle for the benefit of my family, which is fantastic. Um, I guess it's. I guess I get it wrong more often, a lot more often with my family. I think. Um, but I hope. I hope. I think. I've reached a place where um, the children talk very openly and honestly about how they feel and what they might be struggling with and what excites them and what they're worried about and uh, and and talk about some very intimate things you know so I guess if I do nothing else it creates help to create that environment because it's not all down to me help to create that environment then I feel really I feel really proud of that and that's great well done. Andrew, thank you very much for your oh, time. Oh, thanks for having me, Penny. Really appreciate it. And I think people are going to take an awful lot from what you shared with me. So thank you. Oh, thank you. So I hope you enjoyed listening to the lovely Andrew Cannon. Um, he, as I say, was very much thinking about the behaviours. Right, let's stop, start again. My computer made a noise. Hopefully it won't do that again. Okay, start again. Into the camera whenever you're ready. So I hope you enjoy listening to Andrew Cannon. Uh, his conversation with me, I think, was a bit more specific around uh, how inadvertently you can create some not-so-useful behaviours by the way you send inappropriate messages, nearly always without even knowing that you're doing it. And we do see this quite often in organisations. So Andrew works very hard, not just by word of mouth, but by the emails and the letters he sends out to be sure that he's sending a message that isn't actually portraying something he doesn't wish to portray, which is far too easy to do when we communicate. We think that we're sending a really useful message. And in fact, we may be sending one that's received rather differently, which is very interesting. Actually, funnily enough, I had dinner with somebody last night and they were actually saying how with their boss, uh, and it's actually a whole practice of vets, a huge global one, and he was sending messages out and she was saying, do you realise, you know, what you said here? And he said, yes, but this is what I meant. And she said, yes, but that's not how it's being received. And to be a leader, I think, is almost thinking before you send something or before you say something, how might this be received? Is it going to be received in the way I want it to? And that's really 
not always as easy as you think it might be. So I hope Andrew's given you a few insights and that you enjoyed listening to him. And please remember, I said at the end of every podcast, but it's important. Please remember if you have any questions for me or for Andrew Cannon, please email me, penny at thelivingleader.com. Any feedback will be gratefully received. And in fact, I would love to receive it. And I hope that you enjoyed it. And I look forward to meeting you on our next podcast.